Let's open the Word of God now this morning. The Bible tells us that the Word of God is like a hammer that shatters the rock. <laughs> and so let's ask the Lord's Word, and Lord through His Word, to be powerful in breaking up strong places in our lives that need to be shattered, but actually making us stronger because of that. Turn to 1 Thessalonians, if you would, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and if you're using the Bible provided for you, you're going to find that on page 986. We are going to continue this morning. We're opening these first two chapters of 1 Thessalonians the last few weeks, and we'll be there, of course, this morning. The next Sunday, we'll bring this to a close. So we're in, in these early weeks of this new year, our focusing on what it means to reproduce gospel lives in others. Reproducing gospel life in others. The Bible says that these Thessalonians, though they were very young and immature in their faith in some ways, says in chapter 1, verse 8, that the word of the Lord was sounding forth, echoing forth from them. And so we're taking this time to Ask the Lord to show us what it means to be living lives that echo the gospel, have impact, influence, that reproduce gospel, that reproduce gospel life in others. So once you turn there, if you would. Now, I want you to understand as well as I bring this message, I'm a little concerned, a little nervous about the message this morning. Um, you know, my wife, I, my wife is on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook, okay, but that's okay. I go through her and find out what's going on a little bit. And um, someone here in the church posted this, this this week. Why don't you see this? You should be as excited about church as about the Super Bowl. So when your pastor makes a point this Sunday, pour Gatorade over his head, okay? So now... I was a little nervous about that in the first service, but now that there is a Gatorade bucket that has appeared down front. If, if you've seen this, somebody brought in a Gatorade bucket, okay. I, I jiggled it a little, I think it's empty, okay, but I'm, I wanted to alert security if anybody heads toward that, okay. I don't know if you remember in elementary school, if you ever had events like this, but I know at, at the school I attended uh, a couple of times a year, they would have what they called show and tell, show and tell. That was a lot of fun. And a lot of times it would be the week after you came back from Christmas break and people would bring in what they received for Christmas, their special gift, and they could show it and tell all about it. And I remember one uh, year, I guess I was in first or second grade, I was so excited, I couldn't wait to get back to school because there was no doubt who was winning show and tell. <laughs> I was going to win it because I had received the gift of my dreams. I had received an official jungle gym outfit. Yes, Jungle Jim, okay? I, there was this program about Jungle Jim, and he had this helmet, and he would trek on safaris, you know, and he had a vest and a compass, and he had a knife and all these kind of things, and I had this whole outfit that I'd gotten for Christmas. I was so excited, so I stuffed it all in a big bag, took it to school, couldn't wait to get there, and my moment was ruined 
by the guy right in front of me, Roger Bertram. Yes, that name is with me till this day. Roger Bertram. He was right in front of me and he took his bag up and you know what he pulled out of that bag? A jungle gym outfit. And then I had to go up afterward and I got one too. And it was like, oh, are you serious? Here was my moment and that great impact that I was going to have, show and tell, didn't happen. I couldn't help but thinking about that this week. As I was thinking through this passage of scripture, you say, how in the world, Sam, did you get Jungle Jim from that? I want to tell you, I was thinking about what Paul is saying about gospel living. He said it is a life of showing and telling the gospel. And that's what makes the impact. Is the gospel is something that we show in our lives and we tell and sharing. And that is what brings real impact. Showing the gospel, telling the gospel. Our vision statement here at West Park is this. That we desire to be a church that is becoming more and more intentional about impacting our community with the ministry showing and message telling of God's love. We want to more and more be a church that's impacting our community by showing the ministry, and telling the message of God's love. Now, how is that accomplished? Well, friends, I want you to know it's not accomplished by programs. They have their place. It's not accomplished by activities or events. That is accomplished by the church. And the church is not a building. The church is us. It's as we go through our lives, where we live, where we work, where we play, and we are showing and telling the gospel of Christ that there's great echo, great influence, reverberating. That's how it happens. So this morning, what I want us to do is to look at the scriptures as Paul is sharing his story of how his life had impact, how his life alive with the gospel of Christ influenced others so that they were reverberating, they were echoing the gospel into others' lives. I want us to see what that looks like. And so listen to Paul as he's going to share about influence. Now we're going to read a passage of scripture and really to me, this entire first half of the of 1 Thessalonians 2, is the greatest statement ever written on influence and leadership. Friends, I want you to know 
that just about everything you've ever heard, ever read about leadership is completely wrong. It is upside down from what God says is leadership and influence. Leadership and influence is radically different from how the world expresses that. It's expressed like this, but it's really powerful. And what I want you to understand, folks, listen carefully. Do not go to the world to tell you how to be an influencer and a leader. You don't take one kind of leadership into your job and have another kind of leadership in the kingdom, in church. This is the way followers of Jesus make gospel impact. This is the way lives are really touched for eternity. Listen carefully. Paul says it's like this. Verse 7. Chapter 2. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now that is influence. That is leadership from the king and the kingdom perspective. Now what I want you to notice here is that influence in lives of others, the gospel alive in you through Christ, and that impacting other people's lives is through showing and telling. Showing and telling. First of all, it's by showing the gospel. It's the impact of modeling the gospel. Modeling the gospel is so powerful. There is such power in lives that preach. Our lives preach. We have a message. But lives that preach the gospel are so powerful. Paul's life preached. Did you notice how many times in these verses already, Paul could refer to what they knew about him? Just look at this, if you would. Back in chapter 1, verse 5, notice he said, 
you know what kind of men we prove to be. You see that? You know. Notice, if you would, in chapter 2, verse 1, you yourselves know. Look at verse 2. As you know, we had boldness in our God. In verse 4, he says, we have been approved by God. That is, visibly in your presence, we were authenticated by God. Verse seven, he says, you know what we were like. We were gentle like a nursing mother. You know that we were ready to share our own lives with you. Look at verse nine. You remember, brothers, our labor. Verse 10, you are witnesses and God also. You know, verse 11, how like a father we exhorted you. Paul could say, you know, you know, you know, you remember, you remember. God is witness. He modeled the gospel. Now I want you to see this morning how Paul says he modeled the gospel. He, he talks about modeling it like a, a mother. And he picks that up, and in verse 9, he says, we, we modeled the gospel for you, for you by our work on your behalf. We model the gospel, friends, by our work on behalf of others. The gospel is not just about words. It is also about actions, deeds. It's about work for others. Paul said, verse 9, you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Now, Paul was ministering to these people in Macedonia, and the Bible tells us they were not just poor people. It says they lived in abject poverty. They were the poorest of the poor. And Paul, rather than any way taking his support from them and their incredible poverty, he was willing to work night and day, hard manual labor, so that he might be able to preach the gospel to them without any cost whatsoever. Paul was acting like a spiritual parent. A spiritual grown-up. What do spiritual grown-ups do? What do spiritual parents do? What they do is they labor on behalf of others. They labor on behalf of their beloved children in the Lord. They work on behalf of others. That's what spiritual parents do. Spiritual grown-ups. I remember when I was... A young boy, my dad worked at the Chrysler plant about five blocks from us and before he had a lot of, of seniority as employee, he was laid off many, many times. And when he was laid off back in those days, there wasn't unemployment like we have it today. There wasn't uh, a statement in the contract that said when you're laid off, you get a certain percentage of your pay. You're just 
out of work. And I remember what my parents had to do for so many, many months on different occasions, how my dad would, he would grow a vegetable garden and he would put it in the station wagon. He'd send me and my brother out knocking on doors, selling vegetables to make money for the family. I remember he would go and scrape and paint houses and he would carry a mail for special deliveries. He did everything you could imagine. And my mom, while that was happening, she would babysit. She would uh, get work at the local motel as a maid. And I remember one summer when things were so tight and there were no jobs available hardly anywhere that my mom and dad, the only thing they could find was to go and to pick tomatoes all during the summer with the migrant workers up in our part of Indiana. And I remember that. That's what love does. Love works on behalf of those loved. I wonder, are we laboring for others? Who are you sacrificing for? Is there any relationship in our lives where very tangibly there is sacrifice, emotional, physical, sacrifice, to model the gospel. Paul and these others, they modeled the gospel by their work on behalf of others. But now notice what he says. Not only do I remind you of how we worked, he said, remember how we walked. We model the gospel by our walk before others. How we walk out our lives before others models the gospel in a powerful way. Verse 10, Paul says, you are witnesses and God also. My word. You are witnesses and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward God. You. You know how we walked in front of you and with you. Notice these qualities of a gospel walk that is influential. He says it is holy, it is righteous, it is blameless. Each one of these words has a a little different color to it for us to understand what it means to walk a gospel walk. He says, we walked in a holy way. Holy here means with reference to the Lord. We lived our lives with reference to the Lord, before the Lord, belonging to him. Our lives his. Our lives in his presence. We lived holy. That's with reference to God. He says we lived righteous. That means with reference to our neighbors. Righteous here means the way you treat other people. How you interact with people. A gospel walk 
is a walk that interacts with people with the right actions and attitudes. He says, we were holy, righteous, and blameless. Blameless has to do with reference to the public. Blameless does not mean sinless. Blameless means literally nothing that can be grasped. It means there's not something so obvious in your life. There's not something that's, that's such a blind spot in your life that people can take it and say, look at this. You, you say you're a follower of Jesus. You say you're a follower of Christ. Look at this. That's what blameless means. It means that you walk your life in public settings with integrity. A mature gospel walk, holy, with reference to God, righteous, with reference to your neighbor, blameless with reference to the public. That's how you walk like a man, walk like a real woman, a grown-up. Many of you know, years ago, I was a youth pastor, student pastor in Ohio, and I loved it, enjoyed it. Susan and I didn't have children at that time, and our house was just, I mean, it was just 24-7 with teenagers all the time. It was, uh, it was something else. And, uh, but I especially loved, enjoyed working with the middle school guys. Just something about middle school guys. You know, and I enjoyed them so much. You know, they come in about sixth grade and they're, they're, they're still playing with G.I. Joe in sixth grade. And by the time they get in eighth grade, they, their shoes, are, their feet are going faster than shoes can get. They're growing out of everything, you know, and, and then they're starting to try to figure out what it means to be a man. And, you know, some they start with lifting weights. I remember some of them come up and say, hey, Pastor Sam, look at that. Look at that right there. And I would tease them. I'd say, let me feel that. I'd say, yeah, you all have a doctor. Look at that. I, that bumps. But I like that. <laughs> and then I, sometimes I'd see them. They'd be walking down the hall, you know, and they've been to the gym, you know, and they're starting to walk like this a little bit, you know. You know, they've been working out 20 pounds each arm, you know, they're walking like this. And I'd say, what's the matter with you guys? You got sunburned armpits or something. What's going on? You're walking around like this. They're trying to figure out what it means to walk like a man. This is what it means to walk like a man. This is what it means to walk like a real woman of God. Holy, righteous, blameless. That's a walk that models the gospel. But the gospel is not just show. The gospel is show and tell. Show and tell. Influence. Producing gospel life in other people is not just showing, but it's also telling. The gospel is a message to be shared. It's not just the message of salvation. That is the core of the gospel is the message of salvation in Christ. But sharing the gospel with each other is what it means to be people of the gospel, followers of Christ, gospel talk, gospel encouragement. 
And so it is the impact on others from our lives of motivating by the gospel. We're to model the gospel, but we're also, as we speak, we're to be motivating by the gospel. I remember in 1986, in the fall of 86, I knew that I was coming here as pastor. I'd accepted the call. And there was an elderly man, uh, semi-retired in our church up there, who had been a church planter. Many different churches. He'd worked with different churches and starting different churches. And he told Pastor Snavely, the pastor I served with, he said, before Sam leaves, I need a half a day with him. And I'm thinking, I might have a half hour. And no, Pastor Snavely said, no, you have a half day. <laughs> so I had a half day. And he talked to me about several things, about pastoring. He said, you're going to go down to Knoxville. And he said, but now, once you do this, and this is the thing I remember of that entire half day. I don't remember anything else. He said, take out a three by five card. I took out a three by five card. He said, now, Sam, when you go down there, you have three primary responsibilities when it comes to those dear folks down there. I want three primary responsibilities. He said, are you ready? I said, I'm ready. He said, number one. I wrote down number one. He said, are you ready? I said, I'm ready. He said, write this word, motivator. I wrote the word motivate. He said, are you ready for number two? I said, I'm ready. He said, write this word, motivator. He said, are you ready for number three? I said, I'm ready. I think I'm good. He said, motivator. And then he explained what he meant. He said, Sam, you're going down there. Yes, you're going to teach the word of God. Yes, you're going to shepherd that flock. Yes, yes. But he said, Sam, you've got to recognize one of your main callings is to be a motivator, to, to inspire the people of God. Followers of Christ, not just pastors of the gospel, but people of the gospel, we're to be motivators. None of us is called to be a part of the cold water brigade. We're to be motivators. The Bible says, as we see the day approaching, let's be encouraging each other to love and good works, right? Let's be stirring each other up. Let's be motivating each other to press on, be strong, keep going. That is what Paul said he was doing, he and his colleagues. They were motivating people with the exhortation of a good father. He said, we were like a, a good father to you. Verse 11, he says, you know, like a father with his children, we did this. And it's an interesting verse seven. He says, we were like moms to you. Verse 11, we were like dads to you. He's using timeless images here. The timeless image of a mother. The timeless image of a mother in verse 7 is compassionate comforting. Compassionate comforting. Warming the child. Remember that from that verse we looked at last week? What's the timeless image of a father? The timeless image of a father is compassionate challenging. Compassionate challenging. Look at verse 12. Like a father, we did what? We exhorted each one of you, we encouraged you, and we charged you. 
Each one of those words, again, Paul is, he is an artist with words. And each one of these words, he selective intentionally, each one has a little different color of the image of a father. And what it means to motivate people with exhortation like a father. He says, we exhorted you. The idea in that word is this, literally, to stand beside, to stand beside. And it's the image of a father like this. Son, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm standing with you. Then he says, like a father, we not only exhorted you, we encouraged you. And this is a very interesting word. Paul rarely ever uses it. The idea here is to stand beside and to comfort. To stand beside and put your arm around some sagging shoulders. That's the image here. And it's like a father saying, son, I'm right here with you. I got you. You're not alone. I'm going to help you stand. And then he says, we not only exhorted you and challenged you, encouraged you, but we challenged you. And this word has the idea of confronting, confronting. It's the image of a dad who now steps in front of his son and puts his hands on his shoulders and says, son, look at me. This is no way to live. Son, look at me. You're better than this. I love you, but you got to stop this. Paul says that's what a spiritual parent does. Not just a dad, but someone who is influencing others. That person at times is going to stand right next to somebody. I'm here. That person at times is going to say, hey, I got you. And that person at times loves someone so much that he or she gets in front of that person and says, now listen to me. Listen to me. Wonder, who's been that in your life? Who's been the person in your life that stood beside you? held you up and who has been a true friend to put his or her hands on your shoulder and say, listen, this is not good. This isn't what you need to be doing. You see, a true friend, a spiritual leader will not come to you saying, hey, I'm okay, you're okay. I'm okay, you're okay. No, a real spiritual leader for your life will say, listen, I'm a sinner and you're not so hot yourself. <laughs> that's, that's the truth. We don't do this because we're perfect and sinless, but we do it because we're truly concerned about the best interest of the person. We want what's best for them. And so there is this exhortation like a father. But what is, what is the motive? 
When someone comes around and stands with you, when you go to somebody, you put your arm around them, or even when you have to look them right in the eye and say, this isn't, this isn't the way, what's the motive? The motive of being a spiritual father is the motive of the excellence of God the Father. He's worth it. That's the motive. Look at verse number 12. He says, we exhorted each one of you. We encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He says, walk, a worthy walk, worthy of God, worthy of the way he's called you by his grace. Worthy of where he's called you to glory. Walk worthy of this. Walk worthy of the one who's called you. God called you. Walk worthy of the one of how he called you. The way he called you. He called you to himself. Out of your darkness and sin. He called you into the kingdom of his life. Now walk worthy of this calling. God came and got you. God got you and he brought you and made you a part of his team. By his grace, through Christ. Now walk worthy of this. Walk worthy of where you're going. The kingdom of glory. The kingdom of glory. His kingdom. Folks, listen. <laughs> For us as believers who are truly born again, the outcome of the contest isn't in question, right? We win. Why? Because Christ won on the cross and he vanquished the enemy there and triumphed over him and the empty tomb means game over. Game over. Now we, who are followers of Christ, we don't live for victory. In reality, we live from victory. This is the victory, Christ Jesus our Lord, the victor. And so we're to live worthy of the one who called us, the worthy of the way he called us by his grace and worthy of where he's called us to, heaven, glory, the kingdom. Years ago, when my son Stephen was just a little, little fella, he came walking through the house one day and he was kind of jiving a little bit. And he, <laughs> he was singing with his little lispy voice. He was saying, Akuna Matata, Akuna Matata. Akuna, Matata. And I, I sort of followed him around. He was Akuna, Matata, Akuna, Matata. And I did exactly what I always do when there's a crisis with one of the kids. This, I did what I always do. Susan, <laughs> Susan, what's going on? She comes in, you know, Akuna, Matata. She said, oh, that's from that film Lion King. I said, really? Oh, yeah, they say Hakuna Matata. He's been saying that all week. So I decided to watch The Lion King with him. And it was a pretty neat film. 
And uh, we'd kind of start from time to time doing that Akuna Matata thing, you know. And then there was a song in it, Circle of Life. You remember this? You know, Elton John singing, The Circle of Life. You know, and I listened to it, it, you know, it's circle of life. And I was kind of thinking, you know, I think it's about the food chain, you know, the circle of life. Well, sure, a lion can sing that song. He's top of the chain, you know. You know, an antelope doesn't go around singing the circle of life. No, you're at the bottom of that circle. But I start, I couldn't get away from that idea, the circle of life. I, I mean, couldn't get away from it. So I started thinking about, you know, there is a wrong way to live the circle of your life, and there's a right way with wisdom. The idea of thinking about it looks like this. I'll show you. A self-focused life has me in the circle. Oh, and I have my friends, my finances, health, fun, growth, learning, home, family, spirituality, career. You've got all these parts of your life, the circle of your life, but you're in the middle. And you know what that is? That's really pride. And let me tell you what else it is. It's pressure. Because when you're in the middle, it's all on you. Family's on you, your spirituality's all about you, growth, career, finances, it's all on you. That's what pride brings, pressure. And that life is never in balance. But now, when you have a Christ-focused life, when Christ is the focus, guess what? You don't have to go prioritizing different areas of your life. You don't have to worry, are you putting enough energy here, energy there? The reason is because Christ is the center, and so Christ isn't separated from your career. He's not separated from your friends. He's not separated from your finances or your health or the fun and recreation. He's not separated from school. He's not separated from home. Certainly not separated from spirituality. Christ is all. And you know what that is? That's peace. That's peace. Because Christ is in my life, all the areas. He keeps things balanced. But you know what else is there? Not just peace. Listen, power. See how those arrows go out? Christ in you influences your friends. Christ in you reaches out through finance. Your finances take on a mission. Christ in you, your health you use for the Lord. You minister. Even your fun and your learning. All all, it all has power to it because Christ is in all of it. That's a simple illustration. But folks, I want to tell you something. That is what it means to have a gospel-centered life. Now, how does that happen? Well, it happens, first of all, you must be born again. 
Never in a million years can you work out that balance and peace until Jesus Christ is Lord. Then what else is required? Let me tell you, more than just going to church on Sunday morning. Because Christ must become not just the center and the focus of your life on Sunday morning at church, but every day you know is his day. You go to your office, it's his office. It's your house, his house, it's your family. It's his career, his job. He's in all of it. There's none of this secular and sacred going on. Because your life has been purchased by the blood of Christ, right? Your life is his. And when daily the focus is of Christ in your life, the center of your life, you're talking to him, he's talking to you, you're getting wisdom from his word, you're encouraging others as you're in relationship, then comes Peace. Peace. Jesus has got this. He's got it. And from him comes power. Not from you. But it's from the one who is in you. That is the echo. Folks, listen. It's the echo of Christ. It's the overflow of Christ. It is Christ in us and through us that makes the impact. Let's bow our heads. Our heads are bowed this morning. I thank you for your attention. And let's not just close up and forget what God is saying. Let's, let's, let's focus here. Friend, I want to ask you this morning, is Christ... Christ in you. of us have just gotten ourselves ready to go. Are you ready to listen? What are you going to do? What are you going to do with what the Lord has just said? What Sam Polson says doesn't amount to that much. But what the Lord Jesus Christ says matters for now and in eternity and you will be held accountable. Now what are you going to do? Do you know Jesus? Are you sure that you're sure that you're sure that your name is in the book of life? Do you know him? to him.
trust Him. Believe on Him. Surrender to Him. This is what it means. Those words all mean the same thing. Trust in Christ. Surrender to Christ. And He will be in you. And now, friend, what part of your life is separated from Christ in reality? Friendships, relationships, career, finances, education. Is he master of all those areas? Oh, friend, how God wants you to have such an impact as he lives in you and through you. Let's ask him to come. Let's ask him to come. Give his grace to do what he's placed on our hearts. Quietly, let's just stand together. Let's just call upon him as we sing to him. Ask him to do what he alone can do, but he will do. Come thou fount of every blessing. Let's sing this to the Lord. We'd like to come for prayer. Invitation is open. We can help you in any way. Sing to the Lord. He's listening.